Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. Having a child on the autism spectrum reduces the likelihood of a family attending church by 84%. Wow. But having a child with depression increases the likelihood of a family not attending church by 73%. Mm-hmm. Having a kid with a disruptive behavior disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, decreases the likelihood of a family coming to church by 55%. How can you take a child with disabilities to church when you don't feel you can take your child anywhere and then wonder if this church will be welcoming to your family? That challenging topic and many others today on Life Support with Dr. Steve Gersovich. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. This is Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal is to use this story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul. So glad you've chosen to join us on Life Support, and we love to just tell stories. We talk about difficult issues. We talk about finding Jesus through trials and and trauma and suffering that come into our lives, and also giving you a pathway forward that sometimes culture doesn't offer, and the Bible does, and Jesus is there for you. And I'm very, very pleased to be joined by a guest uh, that we talked to last time, uh, Steve Gersovich, Dr. Steve Gersovich, who is the president of Key Ministries. He'll tell us more about that. He's a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And Steve, thanks for joining us again. Great to have you back from Cleveland. Well, thanks for welcoming me back. And they say nothing good ever happens in Cleveland. And here you are telling us it's not true. I actually love Cleveland. You know, before I became a a pastor, I was a broadcaster and I had opportunity to uh, broadcast football games from, from old Cleveland Municipal Stadium when the Browns played there. And that was a magnificent atmosphere. They still had Bill Belichick back then and um, loved it there. Well, I was a season ticket holder back then. And, you know, I think that to some degree, I still have like traumatic experiences from it because like when we're coming out of church on a Sunday morning and I'm walking down the sidewalk, the first thing that you know, comes to my mind is the sound of empty beer cans being kicked up West Third Street after yet another loss in that old dump of the stadium. Well, there is that. It was the, one of the strangest uh, places to work from, but it was it was pretty cool. But we're not here to talk about sports. We could talk about Cleveland sports for a long time, but we're here to talk about some really important issues uh, about what we're facing in this culture with with children with disabilities, especially those with hidden disabilities. And and uh, last time, Steve, we were talking about some really important issues about how parents can react to um, what's happening in culture, um, transgenderism, and all of these different things. And let me just start with this. Parents, at least uh, in our church, I can speak for myself, are, are feeling just totally uh, um, spun around and and frightened because this is happening so fast. I mean, I think we all could have predicted that someday we'd be here. We got here really quickly. And so what do you tell parents that are coming to you saying like, I've got this thing with my kid here. I just don't know what to do. Like, 
Where do we turn? Well, I had a family last week where I was talking to a mom about this. And, you know, from a, from a biblical standpoint, I go back and like think, you know, immediately about like, like the prodigal son, because there are a lot of people nowadays who have prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. But part of what I think is like an important concept for folks to understand. And like one of the things like, you know, our, you know, our girls who we raised, like, you know, one of them's married and she and her husband are graduating medical school in 10 months. You know, the other one's a senior at college. But, but there were a couple of things that we focused on, like when they were growing up. You know, one is that, you know, there's a certain point in time, like when you're raising a child, where you no longer have physical control over them. You know, it's not like you can just like pick them up and set them in a timeout chair, you know, or put them in their room. And that when, when they get to that point that you don't have control over your children anymore, um, all you have is influence and influence is based upon relationship. You know, and so one of the things when, when I'm talking with parents where they're going through some of these struggles with their kids is that, that one of the things that they have to be able to prioritize is that they have to have that relationship. You know, if when, you know, similar to the prodigal son, their child comes to their senses, that, 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 that there's still that, you know, that there's still that connection in place for them to be able to have some influence. And insofar as a part of me that's, you know, been a church elder, one of the things I think that the church can offer, you know, during a period like this, that's critically important is that we were very intentional when our kids were growing up about wanting them to have other Christian adults in their life who would mirror the kind of like thinking and mirror the kind of teaching that we were sharing in our home, when stuff would come up where maybe our girls wouldn't be comfortable coming and like talking to their mom. And so, you know, so I think it's never been more important for kids to see examples of other, you know, of other adults and other families who are living out their faith. And, you know, increasingly, you know, because of, you know, because of the busyness of the culture, because of the impact of the internet, you know, and ironically, and sadly, like, if you look at like the Barna data, you know, the families who are most likely to stop coming to church, like during the whole period where COVID, you know, where the families where the adults are, you know, are age 50 and under, you know, so that these are, you know, these are the very families who are, you know, in the process of going through these child rearing years who appear to be the ones you know, who have most been, who, who have most quickly abandoned the church. So that, you know, if, if, if I'm a pastor or I'm an executive pastor, a youth ministry leader, one of the things that I would want to do, you know, to be able to protect the kids, you know, who are already caring for, you know, and to think about like the kinds of kids and families who are going to be coming to the church, you're like seeking something, you know, in contrast, that offers a different kind of hope than what our current culture offers, you know, is to be able to give them, you know, to, to give them relationships and to give them examples of people living out their faith so that people don't feel so isolated and alone during this time. Yeah, that's good counsel. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that's a little bit um, unmedical related, but you, you, you said you've been an elder in your church. You're obviously a mature Christian man who has a deep heart for kids. We're fighting spiritual warfare, uh, incredible spiritual warfare right now. Um, and this is part of it, isn't it? I mean, we're up against an enemy that wants to destroy our families. 
So this isn't just a medical issue or a cultural issue. This is a downright, we're fighting an enemy issue, is it not? I believe it is. I'm not sure I would necessarily use that language, you know, with if I were like talking to a family that hadn't been part of the church and hadn't been part of our culture for a while. Oh, sure, right. Mm -hmm. But no, no, no. I mean, like, um, you know, start trying to do something to honor God and like, you know, you're going to get the attention of the other team. You know, you'd mentioned Cleveland sports and like, like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you know, I had what I described as the Eric Snow hypothesis. So that during LeBron's early years with the Cavs, Eric Snow was the point guard for the Cavs. Um, nobody guarded Eric Snow because he was the worst shooter from the floor in the entire NBA and everybody put two guys on LeBron. And so, you know, the Eric Snow hypothesis is that, you know, if you don't ever encounter any resistance and you don't get any like pushback, you know, it's because you're not a threat to score for God's team. Yeah, that's you know, so that, you know, so that the, the more, you know, the more you seek to honor God and the more you seek to build the kingdom and the more impact you have in doing those things the more attention you get from the other team and you know those who are particularly impactful like lebron ended up getting double teamed all the time poor eric snow he's got a hypothesis about him for being a terrible shooter um but parents have kids that you can't see what their kids are dealing with you know um we're pretty good at dealing with kids with physical disabilities, but a lot of the stuff that's going on in kids' minds right now, the, the trauma that they've experienced, their anxiety is all hidden inside. And so parents don't always feel safe uh, putting them in a church culture because, and I know what that's like, you, you know, we all have this fear of being rejected. We all have this fear of, uh, of, of not being loved. And so you come to a church, you're kind of tentative a little bit, Everybody looks at your kids like, you know, get that kid out of here. And man, you don't ever want to go back to church again. How can we get better as church leaders, Steve, at making our churches available to these families that have kids that are struggling with unseen disabilities? Well, let me talk for a moment about the extent of the need. And then I'll talk a little bit about some of the solutions that, that our ministry has suggested and that some churches have implemented in response to this. Um, there was a fascinating study that was published almost three years ago, and I actually had a paper published. This was my first paper published with our younger daughter who's interested in becoming a psychologist or a counselor, specifically on the topic of why church is difficult for families who've been impacted by mental illness. And so there was a study that was done by a guy named Andrew Whitehead, who at the time was a sociologist at Clemson University. And they looked at a little bit over a quarter million interviews that were done over three cycles of something called the National Children's Health Survey. And so it turns out one of the questions they ask in this survey is, you know, has your family attended a church or place of worship in the last year? And so what, what Dr. Whitehead was doing was that he was going through and he was looking at the correlation and the relationship between church attendance and families who had kids with various types of disabilities. So to no one's surprise, having a child on the autism spectrum reduces the likelihood of a family attending church by 84%. Wow. But having a child with depression increases the likelihood of a family not attending church by 
Mm-hmm. Having a kid with a disruptive behavior disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, decreases the likelihood of a family coming to church by 55%. Having a child with an anxiety disorder reduces the likelihood the family will ever see church by 45%. And ADHD reduces the likelihood of a family attending church by 19%. So one of the things that has been sort of a frustration of mine is that, you know, when we start talking about kids and families and disabilities, three quarters of the disabilities that we see in kids are mental health related disabilities. And, you know, if you start thinking about inclusive ministry, if you want to include the most families, you know, given that one in five kids in the United States now has um, an identifiable mental health condition or diagnosis, this is the group that I think that we ought to be focusing on. So again, I think that there's a very clear need and it's been well demonstrated that that families who have kids with these issues struggle to be part of church. Now, part of what we did, and this was, this was put forth in a book called Mental Health in the Church. I had the privilege of writing with our team that got published by Zondervan about three years ago now. Um, one of the reasons I think that the church has struggled to address this is that unlike with like special needs ministry where you have you know, one-on-one buddies and respite nights and sensory rooms and stuff like that, there was no strategy or no ministry model for churches to follow if they were going to think about welcoming this group. So we went ahead and decided to develop one. And so part of what the model's based upon is understanding that, that there are seven common barriers, you know, to families who are impacted by mental illness attending church. You know, the first is stigma. There's an interesting study from LifeWay Research, it's about six or seven years old now, where 55% of unchurched adults believe that people with mental illness aren't welcome in our churches. You know, and so that, you know, so that that message has clearly gotten out there. And one of the things that some of the churches we work with have done some really creative things to combat is using social media and using other strategies to address that perception in the communities that they serve. Anxiety is probably the most common barrier that one out of every 15 adults in the United States have social anxiety disorder. And so people who are, you know, who struggle with this, you know, oftentimes grossly misinterpret or misestimate, you know, or you know, misestimate the extent to which other people are thinking of them, you know, harshly or critically. You know, so if you're concerned about like, you know, if you're a person where you're basically hardwired to overestimate the extent to which other people are judging you. Think about what your experience would be like the first time you tried to come to a church. <laughs> like how many people is, you know, how many, like if you had a mom with social anxiety, bringing her kids, how many different points of contact and interpersonal interactions is she likely to have that first day they try to come? What are some of the things that she's going to be worried about before they get there? What do they do if, you know, this mom with mental health issues has kids with mental health issues who struggle with various aspects of church? You know, so, you know, as you can see, like, you know, anxiety becomes, you know, becomes a big deal. Um, you know, the third is like um, one's capacity for self-control. I mean, like we have the whole book of James that sort of like equates like self-control with godliness. And one of the things that we know is that with pretty every, pretty much every like mental health condition in the DSM, 
folks have some diminished capacity for impulse control, emotional self-regulation, problem solving. You know, how do we, you know, how do we welcome kids and how do we welcome families who have those struggles into the church? Sensory processing is, is a fourth issue. And while people commonly associate this with autism, you know, the folks at the National Institute of Mental Health are using this as one of their markers in, in the research that they're going forward in terms of tracking traits that are associated with specific mental illnesses. So that for some families, like, you know, the, you know, the stage presentation with, you know, the loud music and the bright lights, that's very engaging for some people from a sensory standpoint can be overwhelming to others. I mean, the fifth is social communication. And that this is a struggle for many people with common mental health conditions. And you start thinking about, you know, to what extent, you know, social skills are important in terms of being a part of church. You know, so if you have a mental health condition that impacts your ability to maybe pick up on body language, social cues, facial expression. You know, if you get distracted for various reasons and have trouble following folks, navigating the relationships with church becomes a big problem. Um, one of the things that we see as is an issue is social isolation. Like, you know, how do people get invited to church? <laughs> you know, that, that oftentimes, you know, you know, oftentimes they have like friends and neighbors who will invite them, but like, you know, if, if you're a parent who has depression where you don't leave the house, you know, or you have a child with a mental health issue where you don't have money to get out and get a babysitter, you know, to go have dinner with the couple down the street who goes to church because of the cost of your kid's treatment. Or we know that kids with mental health issues are a lot less likely to be involved in the extracurricular activities that other kids would be in the community. Like, you know, if you think about like, you know, sports, scouts, you know, drama, you know, art, you know, other like outdoor activities, they're less likely to be there. So that, you know, parents aren't making the connections that they need. And, and we find going back that a lot of this has to do with past experiences of church. You know, that folks had a bad experience or a parent had a bad experience when they were younger. And as a result, they've never come back and they haven't been comfortable in coming back. And so, you know, so those are some of the, you know, those are some of the obstacles that we have to overcome. And as I listen to you talk, you know, these are the families that they need church. Oh, absolutely. They need community. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And yet they feel like there's a barrier there that it's, it's too, a bridge too far, so to speak. And, and that's what your ministry does, Steve. You're, you're trying to help churches and leaders begin to navigate these waters? Yeah, so that we've put together sort of like, um, by the way, you know, we think about this as a mindset as opposed to being a program. You know, so that there are churches that will set up like these standalone special needs ministries. We don't want this to be a program. What, when we work with churches, the idea behind this is how do we include folks with mental health issues into all of the stuff that you're already doing that you think is important in terms of making disciples? And so, you know, so part of like what we would do would be to help like, you know, you know, to work with a church, you know, around developing like an inclusion team, you know, doing like looking at the physical spaces in which they do ministry and are there ways that we can make those spaces more sensory friendly? What can we do specifically to put supports in place to um, allow, you know, individuals and families to be part of whatever activities that church thinks are most central to discipleship? 
So if it's being a part of a small group, how do you train small group leaders to be able to welcome folks who might be uncomfortable with self-disclosing? You know, if it has to do with like going on like mission trips, how do we, you know, how do we find serving opportunities for folks who might struggle with social anxiety or might struggle with other kinds of issues, you know, with social communication or some sensory stuff, you know, if it involves, you know, coming to like a worship service to hear your wonderful pastor teach the gospel every week, you know, what do we need to do to make it possible for the entire family to be able to enjoy that experience. And so I mean, there are other components of this too. You know, one is a communication strategy to address the whole issue with stigma. Another is providing practical helps, you know, to families who are struggling with these issues. And one way of illustrating that is that um, our most popular blog post from a few years ago was on a 60 minute segment where they were talking about the struggles that families of teens and young adults were having in Virginia getting access to mental health support. And this one mom talked about the time that their 13-year-old daughter broke her leg in a skiing accident and was in the hospital for a week for surgery. They had casseroles every night of the week from their church. Six months later, when the daughter overdosed and ended up in the psychiatric hospital for a week, there were no casseroles. You know, so like, what are some of the kinds of things that we can do in a practical and tangible way, you know, to help families? You know, one of the things the church that I go to does regular respite events, you know, we'll have slots for 80 families and they'll fill within an hour of those you know, slots being posted online. Um, you know, it could be something, you know, something as simple as, you know, churches having a current list of mental health resources in the community that pastors can refer families to, you know, if, you know, if a parent or if a child's in crisis, because we know from research that, you know, you talked about people who approach you, statistically speaking, it's more likely that families in a mental health crisis will contact a pastor than it is that they will contract, contact a psychiatrist. Um, you know, you think about like, um, you know, that there's a big piece of this that's developing in terms of, you know, mental health education and support. And there are a couple of wonderful ministries that we partner with. One's called Fresh Hope and the other one's called like, the Grace Alliance that have developed small group curricula and small group resources for churches looking to have Christian-based mental health support groups. Um, and then and then I think that the largest piece of this is that, you know, that this is a ministry where, like, you know, when you think about one in five folks in America being impacted by mental illness, you know, everybody who's already a part of your church, you know, has relationships or has been placed by God in a position to be able to impact and reach out and love, you know, folks who are struggling with these issues. And I think that the biggest part of this is empowering like the people of the church to be able to do the ministry, you know, and recognizing this as, you know, you know, as a ministry that they can have wherever they've been placed. So, you know, so those are some of the like, those are some of the things that we have, you know, been teaching on. And again, you know, the, the, that there have been some like really neat things that we've seen churches do in response to this in terms of, you know, launching mental health support groups. Um, one church in our area that won an award for cultural competency from the local NAMI organization, they put together a five-minute video with the founding pastor of the church where he goes, 
hi, I'm Rick Duncan. I'm, you know, founding pastor of Cuyahoga Valley Church. And I explicitly want to tell you that if you or a family member is struggling with a mental health issue, you're welcome here. We know what it's like. My father was a pastor. He struggled with depression. You know, we saw what he went through and we know what our family went through and we want to be there to care for you and support you. You know, and, 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 and they put that up on Facebook and they asked everybody in their church to go ahead and share it, you know, with, you know, with friends, neighbors, coworkers, loved ones, where, you know, where their families were, you know, dealing with these issues. You know, and so we're seeing like churches doing more and more innovative strategies you know, to get the word out there and to let folks who are impacted by these conditions know that they're welcome, you know, while at the same time, like providing, you know, providing like very tangible supports that, you know, that are a blessing to people who are already in the church and can be a blessing to folks who are outside of the church, but need to be part of it. That's great. So it's keyministry.com? Keyministry.org. .org. Okay. And that's, Everything you're saying is is so important, Steve, and I just pray God's blessing on your ministry because it's so needed, and I appreciate you taking the time to spend time with us to tell us about it. Well, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me the time. So the book's Mental Health in the Church. Right. But if you, you know, but if you don't have like, you know, if your church doesn't have a lot of resources or the money to do that, we have a, we have a series of like 12, like eight to 10 minute videos that we put together that are available on our website to help churches walk through the strategy step by step and help to give them some ideas about more effectively welcoming and including families who've been impacted by mental illness. So we'd love folks to check out the website at keyministry.org and tap into all the resources and you know all the links and all the contacts that we have available there. Okay, fantastic. I appreciate it so much. Steve Gersovich is, uh, is doing great work and that's what we do on this program as well. We want you to know Jesus at a deeper level and many times that comes through trauma. And so I appreciate you spending time with us and we'll see you next time right here on Life Support. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. for listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support